Hello, this is Real Estate Insights, the podcast from Savills that pushes all the right buttons in the property world. And that's going to be handy today as we take a look at what the UK's growing gaming industry is looking for when it comes to office space. This is all about really understanding the end user and their needs. And I think for, for a landlord here, that's going to be a shifted mentality. The power is so significant on these studio spaces that people are looking about how they can offset and and meet their green agendas and real estate is a great tool for that. London accounts for about 30% of video game companies across the UK so it's significant but it's by no means the only location where you find games companies. I'm Guy Ruddle and I'm joined by three people with their fingers on the controllers of the gaming sector. Sam Collins is Head of Commercial and Membership at Yuki, the Association for UK Interactive Entertainment, and he's been in the industry for more than 20 years. Sam, welcome to Real Estate Insights. Hello there, Guy. Great to meet you. Uh, it's lovely to have you on the on the podcast. Rob Pearson is a director of office tenant representation at Savills. He concentrates on advising occupiers on their specific office requirements. Rob, welcome to the podcast. Morning, Guy. Thanks for having me. And Nikki Whiteman is no stranger to Real Estate Insights. Nikki is director of emerging trends at Savills. She's part of the global occupier trends team and focuses on innovation, technology, and future trends. So. Let's get going. Uh, Sam, can I start with you and ask about this sort of the global gaming industry and what's happening with it? And I, I imagine it's growing and probably growing quite fast, is it? Yes, indeed. Yeah, I'm delighted to report that the global games industry reached the uh, princely sum of $200 billion this year in its annual valuation, uh, with over 3 billion people playing games now across the world, which is an amazing stat. And it's nice to meet those big benchmark numbers. The UK absolutely plays its part in this. We published as UK, the Trade Association, the consumer spend values last week for uh, 2021. And uh, Another year of growth. I'm delighted to report that. And what we talk uh, when we talk about the wider tech industry, about um, the UK being a sort of a tech hub mm. uh, and, you know, and attracting lots of tech businesses. Is that really true in gaming as well? Yeah, I mean, the, the there are certain elements that you need to make a video game company, someone that's creating this amazing content. And uh, my company, the Trade Association's objective is to make the UK the best place to make video games. So to create that whole infrastructure and all of the ecosystem that you need. But fundamentally, it's about the people. And in order to make a great video game, you need to have that combination of creativity, but also technical skills. And that is where the UK is absolutely the best. And Rob, when you're talking to, you know, you call them occupiers, but you know, gaming companies, yeah. basically, uh, do you get that that sense that that Sam's talking about of, of sort of energy and excitement and growth and everything when when you're chatting to them? Yeah, absolutely. So I act for a number of <clears throat> um, international gaming companies across the UK and globally, and uh, all of them are growing their headcount, and they're quite unique in the fact that they um, are uh, office users, they're, they're space users. You know, post-pandemic, people are looking about their occupational density, whether they need to be in the office. These businesses are developing, they're, they're, they're collaborating, and really unique in that respect. Um, and and therefore that you know headcount growth because of revenue growth uh, is is resulting in in space growth as well. And and when we say the UK, 
Where do we mean? There's certainly some hubs around the UK. Uh, Guildford in the southeast traditionally has has been a, a quite a hot spot for for gaming, um, but then you've got a number of gaming businesses in central London um, and also clustered around uh, some of the knowledge bases, some of the universities in the UK. Uh, Newcastle, we're seeing you know growth in that market specifically. Um, People are very considerate as well about cost of living, cost of housing, etc. And therefore, not always being located in central London um, because because there is, you know, salary pressures on, on these gaming businesses. It's taking more people uh, to develop these amazing, uh, all-encompassing games. Um, so, so your staffing account is increasing uh, and there are pressures on, 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 on revenue. And oh, Robert, you're right about that. Just to just to talk about that pressure on on staffing. I mean, there are just over thirty thousand employees in the video game industry, direct employees in the UK. But there's nearly three thousand vacancies as of today. As Robert says, this growth is is driving expansion, encouraging studios to expand. There's lots of mergers and acquisitions, investment. We'll probably reference that later. But um, they're all driving more people. Uh, more companies wanting to recruit more people in the games industry and yes they are all over the UK you mentioned uh, some of the districts in London London accounts for about 30% of video game companies across the UK so it's significant but it's by no means the only location where you find games companies and Nikki, obviously your office space is important, but there are certain sectors where it's really important. The image that you're creating with your office is really important. And tech is one of those things. Is, is gaming, do you think? Uh, yeah, I think for all occupiers of property, you know, your space is going to be important, um, certainly for this sector. I mean, I think it's interesting we're talking about offices. I know, Rob, you're going to want to jump in here. Uh, I think, you know, the type of space that these companies need is is really quite bespoke and quite different. I think we t- normally talk about studio spaces and the kinds of space that you'd want to think about would not be a typical office space. I mean, Rob, this is definitely your domain. This is what you're doing every day. Yeah, I mean, I mean, studio, studio is a function within an office space. Um but but it, it is R and D essentially. It's development of of gaming space. It's, there's some quite unique requirements, uh, specifically around power, um, that 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 mean that you can't just uh, you know enter any office and turn that into a, into a studio space. Um, in terms of the requirement of the office and how important it is, I, I mean Sam's point about. Um, number of vacancies the war for talent is phenomenal across all industries but specifically gaming at the moment and therefore any tool at your disposal to get ahead of your competitors uh, is really valuable and uh, office space will clearly sit in that in that toolbox I mean, I, I say, you know, coming back to the talent piece, which I feel we're going to be talking about a lot in this sector, um, one of the things I think that is interesting is where and how the industry will cluster, particularly around education. I mean, we've we've touched on this already, but that relationship between the talent pool and educational providers, we're seeing that in places like here East, uh, here in London, uh, where you've got staffs on, on the campus. And so that sort of talent pool, I think we'll see that as being really important. I mean, I, I also want to give a shout out for the Scottish games industry, places like Abertay and Dundee. Um, Scotland has a huge tradition within the games industry. And I think it's, you know, that we wouldn't want to miss out on that conversation. Quite right. That's really interesting, you know, that you're talking about wanting to be close to education, like Staffordshire University uh, in here East and, uh, and the like. I sort of imagine that the cluster dynamic would be more around tech and that the gaming companies would be want to near want to be near other tech companies but is that is that not so much the case 
Well, you need to be near the talent. I mean, we've talked here about the shortage of talent. I mean, the shortage is created by expansion and demand. So it's, it's not a surprise. Put yourself in the shoes of a studio today. The most important thing is your people. I think perhaps you're right that in years gone by, being near another games company, a, a friendly business, uh, being part of a, a an, an environment where there's an ecosystem where you've got good lawyers and you've got good tech companies, you've got all of these different infrastructure things. That's pivoted. You've got to be where the people are now because the people are your number one resource. And I think that's where the games industry sits today. And a lot of the talent comes from universities, but it's not the only talent pipeline. We're making games that are appealing to everyone in the country. So your games have to be diverse. They have to be inclusive because that's who your audience is. So some of those established traditional routes are being broken down as we try and attract talent from different areas. Yeah, and I think that's sort of reaching out to grassroots gamers. I think that's yes, really yeah. important. And I think that's something the industry really focus, focuses on. Um, and again, trying to build that sort of community. Uh, so there are various, and I'm absolutely endorsing Sam's point about just building diversity in this space, which is absolutely huge. Let's talk a little bit, if we can, about sort of specific office requirements or building requirements for this industry would you guys have talked about them these places being studios rather than than offices what do you mean by that and what sort of specific requirements do you think they have yeah so so when you when you think about studio space you're walking onto an office floor it might look like an office floor in all intensive purposes but you'll have um, a lot of hardware, heat-producing hardware uh, tech on people's desks because the amount of uh, computer processing power for these developers is is huge. Um, consequently, lots of heat, um, which which affects uh, how densely you can occupy this space. You don't want to be putting people in densely um, because if you do, you create this very hot environment, not nice to work in, goes back to the war of talent. You know, um, Additional cooling, therefore, is important right occupational densities and power and also the the the, the uh, resilience of that power because if power goes down that's a significant problem um these studios are also really really collaborative you know one one day you might be sitting next to the sound team and next day you'll be sitting next to the graphics team because you're you're collaborating to create this product which means that you need to be able to move the space and it needs to flex and breathe as you develop these products um it, it it does feel like an office, but there is stuff under the surface which you just need to test to make sure it's going to be suitable and sustainable for your business going forward. And Sam, do, do companies want to create a particular mood and environment in this? Well, space? they want to create a collaborative space. They want to create an, in, an inclusive collaborative space. I mean, it's a, it's a creative process making a video game. So you can't just sit there at your desk and, and just do it in isolation. There has to be space where you can get away from your your screen as a team, talk about things, plan things. Um, you know, you'll see so many walls covered in in post-it notes, in in whiteboards littered with text and details and lots of flow charts and flow lines. It's all about that collaborative working in, in a team and also working with other teams within your company. Uh, as, as Robert mentioned, there are numerous teams working on particular aspects that have to come together. Now, in order to create that creative environment, space is required different stimulus is required so that is a that is but it doesn't have necessarily been the office you could have a decent outside space you could have a decent kitchen i mean there are so many ways that you can create those opportunities for people to sort of get away and talk and plan and this is a fascinating point when you look at what happened during the the lockdown and everyone working from home 
how difficult must it have been to be collaborative and creative when you're working in 30, 40, 100 different houses around the UK? So what people are doing now is reshaping that space to really emphasise that collaborative point when they go back to the office, which is what we're seeing at the moment. Yeah, and I think one of the things that's really interesting here is this, from a real estate perspective, is this idea of traditionally maybe offices just being very generic, suitable for kind of anybody. This isn't an industry that you can do that for. This is all about really understanding the end user and their needs. And I think for, for a landlord here, that's going to be a shifted mentality. I think we're seeing this in lots of different sectors, but this idea that, you know, you, you can't just do something vanilla. Uh, this, this industry is going to have really bespoke requirements, as we're hearing. Can I throw in the whole diversity point at this, you know, that, that perhaps the, the traditional way of thinking of a studio uh, isn't applicable anymore. The video game industry is is becoming increasingly diverse. I don't think we're anywhere near where we want to be yet. But the, the latest industry census tells us that 30 percent of our workforce is female, 24 percent identifies being non-heterosexual. There's a lot of different uh, measures and metrics when you look at the diversity of an industry and that has a huge impact on the facilities that you provide people and making sure that it is appropriate for absolutely everyone so there's lots of challenges there but this is the time to do it this is a great opportunity as we're growing and expanding so nikki mentioned uh, what landlords need to do uh, to, to or need, need to understand to, for these sorts of spaces rob it, we, we, I think we've painted a picture of, of what sort of space is needed. Is there a lot of it out there? Um, not bespokely designed for the gaming industry, um, but but the space is there. It just needs to be uh, repurposed, reimagined, um, and, and thought through to ensure that you can attract the r- the right type of occupiers. Because those occupiers are then looking for for their to attract their staff. One of the things again that I think it's really interesting is this idea of what kind of space is going to work. I mean, I don't know. Sam Sam can tell us more. I'm sure, but you know, I think that Epic in the US are repurposing retro fitting an old shopping centre. Um, I think that idea of kind of thinking differently about what a great HQ space might look like. I mean, there's certainly a lot of shopping centres that lend themselves to being repurposed and reused. Um, and again, that thinking about sustainable space, you know, existing existing buildings that can be retrofitted, reused, that in, you know, environmental impact is going to be huge for this industry as with every other industry. So thinking about space in a sustainable way. I mean, and Rob, you know, the power requirements, I think that's going to be a huge thing for this industry to be thinking through. Yeah, that's that's exactly what I was, I was going to come on to. The, the power is so significant on these studio spaces that people are looking about how they can offset and, and meet their green agendas. And real estate is a great tool for that. Um, it has such a significant impact on their you know, impact on the environment and therefore getting selecting the right building um, it, it can really benefit, you know, both landlord and tenant. So, yeah, so but we've, what we've tended to do in this last few minutes is talk about what landlords need. I and mean, we, we spend a lot of time on real estate insights talking about what landlords or, or developers need to do and the way they need to behave. But, you know, the adage that your every problem you've got is your problem, not somebody else's problem. For the occupiers right now, Rob, if there if there are more and more occupiers and these buildings aren't, you know, there aren't that many of these buildings there. What do they need to be doing? How do they need to be thinking right now to make sure that in the short term, at least, they get the right space? They need to be ahead of the curve. We're in a market where there's a there's a fundamentally low supply of of grade A office space, um, and consequently, you know, making sure you're looking well in advance in the medium term to make sure you're ahead of any development 
pipeline um, is vital. In the short term, you can you can look at your current portfolio and manage that effectively. You can restructure. We're talking about you know home working earlier and 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 the benefits of that and how that has worked during lockdown, albeit not as effectively as being in the office. Um, so understanding really how the space works for you is is really important. And we can we can, you can do all sorts of um, data analytics to understand how many people are in the office and what space they're using. Um, that is the short-term fix, but the long-term, you need to get the right building. It's got the right specifications, environmental credentials, and ultimately, the number one point, being located in a place um, where you can attract talent. And Sam, you know, we're talking about this, and uh, this is a really important subject for us because we're a property podcast. So hmm. obviously, that's the, the case. But for your members, are, is this a, a really sort of top of mind, top of the agenda issue? It, it abs- absolutely is. Particularly at the moment, we, we referenced on several occasions the need to bring new staff in to, to feed that expansion. But um, number one, you've got to protect the staff and retain the staff you already have. So creating that environment where they want to to thrive and continue to work for that business and get the balance of hybrid working, which is the way the industry is is at, at as of today and will be. It's certainly in the short term. You know, the, the stats are telling us that lots of people want the ability to work in a hybrid way. Well, offices need to be capable of coping with that. Um, and also, if we're thinking about the, the whole talent piece and we've talked about the geography of it, a lot of the talent will be coming in from overseas. How do we make sure that international people, um, when they come and see the offices that you've got in the UK, that that gives the right impression when you're trying to encourage talent to come into the UK? Yeah, no, I, I act for a company who's, uh, I think, 40% of their workforce were um, employed from overseas to come to the UK. And therefore, it was really important to understand the dynamic of um, what's the cost of housing locally? You know, how's that? How can people land effectively in the UK and, and be happy in their environment so that they can continue to work? And level of schooling and things like that, Robert, this is really important when you're, when you're, if you're a senior person coming to the UK, you may well have a family to bring with you. You may well have a pet to bring with you. <laughs> <laughs> is this is this the right environment, the right geographic location to to bring your family to? It's such an important consideration. So uh, perhaps less emphasis on what the building looks like on the outside and more about what it looks like on the inside. But where is it located in general is, is absolutely crucial. Now, that's all very well and good, but we've got to get to our feature, Tell Me Something I Don't Know, where you have to tell me, and our listeners, of course, uh, something that we that might be a bit surprising, only a little nugget of information, a little thought. Um, where should we go first? Sam, we'll leave you till last, seeing as you're the industry expert. Uh, uh, Nikki, why don't, we, why don't we start with you? Tell me something I don't know. Uh, something I don't know if you know, but uh, I think it's quite interesting that I think when we think about games and games and play, but also the idea of really what this industry has the capacity to do. I think something like the Uncensored Library is really interesting, it exists within Minecraft, um, created by Reporters Without Borders. And it just kind of shows the scale of, of thinking, I guess, and creativity within this sector and the impact that it might have. Yeah, well, you see, there you are. That's why we do this. Rob, tell me something I don't know. So the average age of a gamer is 35. Many people think people playing video games are younger than that. But if you're thinking commercially and about the size of this market and where it can go, 35-year-old disposable income, longevity of the market, um, it is really a long-term market here to stay. 
And Sam, I'm uh, a lot older than 35. And honestly, if I'm honest, not much of a gamer. So I don't think it's going to be hard for you to tell me something I don't know. Recently, there was the biggest ever acquisition in the entertainment sector in the world. And it was a video game acquisition with Microsoft buying Activision Blizzard for 60 nine billion dollars thank you all so much uh, for being part of this uh, i for one have learned lots of stuff today if all that's done is whetted your appetite for more information there's plenty of stuff on this sector and all sorts of other sectors on the research section of the savills website savills.co.uk forward slash research uh, that's it for this episode of real estate insights thank you very much for listening and see you next time This podcast is for general information only and should not be considered professional advice. Savills accepts no liability or responsibility for any direct, indirect or consequential loss arising from the use of, reference to or reliance on this podcast or its content. Savills makes no warranty as to the accuracy of the information in this podcast. This podcast and all copyright in this podcast is the property of Savills and it shall not be used, reproduced or quoted in whole or in part without Savills' prior written consent.